Hello, I'm Will Sampson. Welcome to the Woodworking Network Podcast. Welcome to the Woodworking Network Podcast, where we explore the business of woodworking and what it takes to succeed. I'm Will Sampson. This episode is sponsored by the Veneer Tech Craftsman's Challenge. Today, we'll be talking to Christian Smedberg about the role marketing plays in a successful business and tips to improve your marketing. But first, let's talk about sharpening your tools. Probably the most common business model for small to medium-sized woodworking businesses starts with an owner or founder who loves making things out of wood. What starts as a hobby begins to morph into a business when real people start offering real money for what the woodworker makes. Once the woodworker gets over the surprise that people would actually pay for it, the woodworking starts to be more than just making stuff. It starts to be about making money, too. Of course, the problem with this popular model is that no matter how well-trained or accomplished as a woodworker, that business owner has to have some business smarts, too, just to stay in business. Have you heard the joke about the woodworker who won the big prize in the lottery? They asked him what he was going to do with all that money. His answer? Well, I guess I'll just keep working until the money runs out. Sure, it's funny but it's all too true. All those people who like to tell young people, do what you love, the money will come, have likely never tried it themselves, and they certainly never did it while trying to run a wood shop. So what does a woodworker do who has bought into all the concept of trying to make a living with a woodworking business? The first step has to be treating the business the same way you treat woodworking. That's as a craft. When you first started woodworking, you had to learn the craft. You had to learn to use tools to understand wood grain, how wood moves when the moisture content changes. As a business owner, you need to be just as enthusiastic about learning the craft of business, including sales, marketing, accounting, and managing people. Or at least you need to be able to know enough to hire good people to do those things for you. In visiting hundreds of businesses over the years, I've learned that that can be the trickiest issue and the one that truly shapes the destiny of a business. In small woodworking operations, I've seen shops reach a crisis point, typically when they get to about four employees. That's when the challenge of managing the people, the business, and production all at once gets just too much for the owner. He or she realizes they either have to hire a foreman to run the shop so they can move to the front office, or they have to hire a business manager to run the front office so they can continue to work in the shop. Lots of woodworking business owners can't successfully resolve that choice, and the business stagnates or even fails because of it. But others do make the transition and prosper. I've met woodworkers who think it's somehow unethical or wrong to care about anything other than making beautiful woodwork. I guess they think the value of their product should be self-evident, and it should sell itself. 
customers will magically come to buy their work and then spread the word far and wide. Good luck with that. If you want to cut precise joinery, you need sharp tools and careful measurement. If you want your business to succeed, you need to sharpen your business skills. Before we get to Christian Smedberg, let's pause for a word from our sponsor. The Veneer Tech Craftsman's Challenge has become the premier competition for creative woodworking in the world. With thousands of dollars in prize money, the competition honors the best veneer woodworking in furniture, cabinets, architectural millwork, and specialty products. There are even categories for first-time entrants and student work. In the interest of promoting veneer as a beautiful, natural, and sustainable product, the competition also honors not only creators of fine work, but also the distributors and salespeople who supplied the veneer. The deadline for entries is June 1, so don't delay. Go to woodworkingnetwork.com challenge and enter today. I'm pleased to have as my guest today, Christian Smedberg. Welcome to the Woodworking Network podcast. Thank you, Will. It's great to be here. Christian's been involved with marketing in the woodworking industry for many years. He currently is handling marketing for Weinig USA. Over the years, I've been impressed with Christian's energetic and creative approach to marketing and how he's been involved in helping not just manufacturers and suppliers with marketing, but also to aid small to medium-sized shops to up their marketing game. He was one of the early honorees in Woodworking Network's 40 Under 40 program. Today, I want to talk to Christian about the particular marketing challenges that now face our industry. You know, I've visited hundreds of shops over the years, and whenever I bring up the subject of sales or marketing, mostly what I hear is all of our business is word of mouth. We don't need to do any marketing. What's wrong with that, Christian? <laughs> well, um, well, for, for most uh for most folks, they're missing out on, uh, I guess, the dynamic aspect of, of marketing uh, when they take that approach. Uh, so, and, and Will, you know, um, real quick, just to back up, you know, uh, the Woodworking Network um, has been a great resource, uh, not just in, in bringing uh, current event news, but uh, these educational uh, sessions uh, at shows and here on the podcast. It's just been great. And I really appreciate what you guys uh, bring to the industry. And it's just been a pleasure to work with you guys. Um, but yeah, let's talk about marketing. So uh, yeah, word of mouth marketing. Uh, that's uh, I've said for years that that's kind of a um, an oxymoron. It doesn't really make a lot of sense um, because marketing is a concerted effort that takes strategy uh, and is dynamic. Um, so uh, and we can go into more specifics about that, but as far as word of mouth goes, I guess that's the that's the main problem. Uh, it's hard to track. Uh, it doesn't really uh, take strategy. You're just kind of floating along, going wherever that river leads you. Well, you don't know where the word of mouth is coming from. No, you don't know even what they're saying, do you? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Probably before we get too too far into this, maybe you should explain what's the difference between sales and marketing. I think a lot of folks confuse those two. Um, yes, so uh, a lot of folks confuse those two, but for good reason, to be honest with you. Because the difference, one thing that I've learned over my tenure in this industry is that the difference between sales and marketing is a difference that is situational. 
so it, there is absolutely a difference between the two, but from organization to organization, from company to company, and from even niche to niche in this market, uh, those two spheres are different in different ways and they overlap in different areas. Um, so what I have found is that for, for some shops, marketing is more of what I would call the top funnel approach. It's the brand awareness, it's the giving leads, it's the um, trying to get in front of as many eyeballs as possible, okay? And sales is the down funnel activities, uh, bringing those eyeballs to dollars, all right? So that's for some, that's for some organizations, and that is a great distinction for many, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, with that said, for other uh, companies, in, even in our industry, Will, um, you know, they may not have a large sales network, even a sales network at all, and therefore they rely on their marketing efforts and then their either customer service or order processing or however they, um, whatever they call their order entry department or staff. And in that case, marketing takes on a much larger role, almost uh, encompassing the full funnel of your, um, of your customer's journey. So it really does depend on uh, the company, um, but if you have sales and you have marketing as two distinct groups, normally marketing is top funnel and sales is down funnel. For the guys that, that are wearing all the hats themselves, yeah. um, I always think of it as, as marketing is what brings the customer to the door and sales is what gets them to open their wallet. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a... That's the most common um, uh, distinction or, um, uh, or or separation between the two uh, that most people in our industry uh, refer to them as. Yep, yep. Now, when times get tough, as they are now, mm -hmm. I see that marketing efforts are one of the first thing that gets cut. How right. are you trying so to replace lost business or build new business if you cut marketing? Yeah, so this is, I mean, I, and this I really want to talk about because it's very relevant and timely for today. Um, you're absolutely right. There is definitely a, a knee-jerk reaction to cut marketing uh, when the market or your organization kind of constricts a little bit. And, um, and I get that. But I also think that the idea itself is uh, possibly just a little erroneous, I guess you could say, Will. Um, you know, marketing is a dynamic um, feature or a dynamic aspect of one's business. And so just saying that you're going to cut marketing is uh, really, to be honest with you, just it doesn't make a lot of sense. But while I say that, I will also say that for those who do not embrace the, the full uh, spectrum of tracking your marketing efforts, then it's a lot harder to not um, go down that path. It's a lot harder to say, well, um, this is working and this is helpful. And so I think that it gets cut because people don't understand it fully. They don't track the successes of marketing efforts. They and, don't see what the value is in it. 
Well, of course, and especially in our industry, right? I mean, if you hold a product in your hand, it's tangible. You see it. It has a value, right? But if you hold a magazine ad in your other hand, you have no value that you can put on that, right? You have no idea, no earthly clue. Most people, I should say, have no earthly clue on what actual value is in their hand in that ad. But a part or a component or even a finished product they can see that they they know exactly. Okay, it has uh, you know three fasteners and it. it has this much board foot of material, and, and they can put the numbers together. But marketing, um, marketing and advertising is much harder to put a value on. Um, I think we should talk about that for a little bit though, because I think this is where the heart of the answer to that question of why is it that people seem to cut marketing when times get a little bit tighter. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there's the old saying is uh, you only manage what you measure. Uh, <laughs> right. That's you can't so true. <laughs> how do you manage it? Right. How do you, man how do you manage it? That's a, that's a really good point. Okay. So, yeah. So let's go into this a little bit. So you have a couple, let's just go with a couple examples. If you have a smaller shop, right, and they uh, they decide because times are good, let's say times are good, just like, uh, you know, they have been, uh, and they decide, hey, I'm going to run a small print ad and maybe a local magazine, right? Okay, pretty, I mean, that's a pretty common situation for many small shops out there. And that's a great idea. I'm, and I'm, that's, that's awesome. I have nothing wrong with that, right? So they put the ad in the shop and time goes on. A year or two goes, goes by, you know, maybe they re-up the ad because the, the guy at the magazine just keeps calling and won't leave them alone. So they say, okay, all right, fine, we'll go another year and that's fine. Okay, great. Well, when times get tough, they're going to cut the ad, right? They're going to cut the ad in that local magazine because they have no idea what, that, like what we said, they have no idea what the value of that ad, what is that bringing to them? Because many folks never took the time to actually set up any kind of tracking for that print ad. Okay. So, and I get that. And to be honest with you, when times get tough and I'm in that situation, I'm actually, I probably cut the ad too, because I have no idea what it's doing for me. I never took the time to actually figure out what that was doing for me. But, um, but if, if companies invest in tracking methods and just strategy, um, then, uh, it becomes clear whether that ad's working for you in times that are getting tighter or it's not. And then you can make a more educated, more of a common sense decision. I think another, I think another great example would be uh, digital advertising. And so let, let's, let's push this example up into a digital space. So you have, uh, again, you have a shop. Okay, great. And, um, and they have decided to do, let's say, Google AdWords, right? So they're running ads through Google, and that's awesome, too. And they got, um, you know, they don't fully understand it. So maybe they had uh, a PPC firm, a pay-per-click firm, or an advertising firm set, set it up for them. Uh, and maybe they pay them a small fee every month to maintain their ads, right? Okay, and every month, maybe that firm sends back a, uh, like a summary sheet, like, uh, this is how you did, you got this many clicks, you, you know, blah, 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 you know, and, you know, if, if the actual shop, uh, shop owner, or whoever is managing that uh, never really took, took the time to question it, to, to analyze it, to have meaningful conversations with that firm, you know, that becomes just a, a routine summary that doesn't really get uh, looked at or uh, critiqued in any way. Again, then when times get tight, they're probably going to drop that. 
right? Because they don't really understand the value, even though the tracking is even there, they never really just took the time to understand the tracking behind it. So well, again, they haven't, they haven't con converted that marketing into sales. They haven't seen where it's come in. They oh, right. So they, they don't know if they have or not. Uh, right. So they they may very well have converted it to sales, but they, they may not realize that that's where the uh, prospect came into the funnel from. Right. So that's where like, okay, so those are two kind of examples, but like, let's just take a dynamic approach. So if we take a dynamic approach and we say the same company uh, has decided to have uh, digitalized or a print ad or both, whatever, and they have set up, let's say, landing pages, they have set up actual phone numbers, they have set up data collectors through their funnel, through their sales funnel, to figure out where customers are coming from. Then when times get tight, all of a sudden, it's a common sense decision to cut something or not to cut something because you're actually assigning value to those things. So just like you wouldn't cut something that has value and you wouldn't keep something that has no value. Now, if you're marketing channels, if you can determine if they have value or not, then you can just make regular common sense business decisions on whether to keep them or not when times get tough. That sounds great. I mean, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you today was, was how important is it to develop a defined marketing plan with measurable goals? And that's what we're talking about right now. How can you establish measure, measurable goals, particularly if you've, you know, it's a new marketing plan, new ideas? How do you, how do you develop that? Okay, great question, Will. Uh, I'm actually, I, I've been asked this by a number of people. So the first thing I'll say is don't fall into the trap. If you have never measured marketing goals before, don't fall into the trap trying to uh, measure direct ROI right off the bat. Okay, that's the, that's the first thing I tell anybody, okay? If you've never measured your marketing efforts before, don't start in the deep end by trying to measure dollar for dollar ROI, right? Because that is tough. Even for the pros, that is a very, very difficult thing to do. And there are techniques out there that you can get um, that bring you down that path, but they're not beginner techniques. So let's start. If you've never done it before, measure simple things on your website, okay? Just um, get a, uh, an analytical tool hooked up to your website. You can go with Google Analytics or there's a whole host of analytical tools out there that you can use. Uh, many platforms have their own analytical tools and make your website more of a hub for the top of your funnel. So again, you're using the, 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 uh, the, like the, the picture of a funnel and when people come into your sales funnel, they're coming in through the top of your funnel, make that top of your funnel their, the website. So set up landing pages, set up calls to action on your website, and then use your analytical tool that's hooked up to your website to track the conversions online. Now, you might then ask, okay, well, I get conversions. How do I know if that's good or not? Okay, if you're just starting out compared to past data, that's going to be your best, most um, easily tracked comparable metric is just go one month to another month. Are you increasing? Are you increasing your 
uh, traffic? Are you increasing your conversion rate? And just look at those two metrics over the span of six months to a year and look at and just relate it to past data. That's going to be a very easy thing to measure for those of you who are just starting off. That's it for today, but we'll be talking more about marketing with Christian in the next episode. You can find all of our podcasts at woodworkingnetwork.com and in popular podcast channels. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Veneer Tech Craftsman's Challenge. If you have a comment or topic you'd like us to explore, contact me at will.sampson at woodworkingnetwork.com. Thanks for listening.